just be thankful I don't sing on this thing. I have an awful voice, and I, I'm I'm not a singer. But sometimes I don't know. You put a microphone in front of me before I'm recording. I start singing into it to test my voice, and I hate my voice. <laughs> and it's not it's not a good voice. When it just when it comes to music, I'm not. I just I love music. I'm not a musician in in any sense of that word. Hold on, I'm checking my levels. Yeah, I had a I was gonna rant again, but I just like a minute ago got a text from Mateo. And I'm I'm assuming most of you know Mateo Scalera. He's been on here. He's a very popular comic book artist, and he's a close friend of mine. But he's in Italy, if you know that. And Matteo, that's where he lives. He's from Italy. There's a tattoo convention, conference, I don't, whatever it's called, going on right now in Milan. And I don't know how far Milan is from Matteo's hometown. Uh, but I... I uh, I knew that this conference was going on. I meant to ask Mateo if he was going. Anyways, he just texted me from the show with a picture of Russ Abbott, who you heard the last two months on here, uh, tattooing with his banners at Ink and Dagger, Russ Abbott, Atlanta. And Mateo texted me a picture of that him tattooing and said, do you know this guy? Because Mateo knows, of course, I'm learning to tattoo. And I've uh, I, I've taken Mateo to Ink and Dagger when he's visited me. Uh, Russ was not there that day. Um, so he he's aware. I don't know if he remembers. Oh, he knows the name of the shop, but also the Atlanta, Georgia. But he had never met Russ, so he he wasn't... He was just trying to put two and two together, so... That uh, just a small world. Um, so yeah, I explained to Mateo that's my tattoo mentor. And um, so right now, I assume they're having a conversation. But the it, yeah, it's a small world. But also, I, I you know, Russ offering me this apprenticeship. Uh, I I mean, like I've said before, Russ, when it comes to to business, has vision like I, I I I've never seen. And so, you know, I think it was the last podcast I asked him why he made this offer to me, and he explained it. But I I do think there's I don't remember if he talked about this, but I always had the feeling that there was something to him bringing me in that I I know there are maybe one or two working comic book artists that are tattooing. Uh, I know there are a small amount of concept artists and or illustrators working in tattooing. These worlds haven't come together very much. Uh... And I always felt like 
there was something to me doing this where I would learn this world and in that bring my world to that world and people would meet each other and things would happen, creative thing. I don't know. But knowing that in Italy, Matteo is now talking to Russ just excites me to see these these two different industries, two creative art industries, finding a, a commonality and coming together. And it's not that there was any reason for this not happening before. Uh, from what I understand, from what I've seen, there are plenty of tattoo artists who are in love with comic book art, plenty of tattoo artists who are tattooing because of comic book art and growing up reading and looking at those artists that inspired them to do their own art. And I also know in comic books, there are plenty of artists who are fans of tattoos in the tattooing world and tattoo artists. Can I say tattoo again? Tattoo. So I don't think there's any reason for it. There's certainly no, uh, no, no animosity or anything of that nature. Um, but they're coming together and it's, it gets back to a, a little a little bit of what I guess I was going to rant about. And I've ranted about. I hate that word, rant. Discuss. Uh, coming together. I just see so much intolerance. So much division. So much anger and hate that is eroding at our lives I, I, I can only speak from the perspective of where I live in the United, being the United States but it's just it's toxic right now and the thing that's really troubling is people's inability to accept someone has a different opinion than their own. This intolerance for any way of thinking other than your own. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You should be having conversations with people who don't agree with you. And I say I said conversations. I didn't say arguments. I'm tired of seeing this thing on Facebook. If you don't agree with me, just unfriend me now. I mean, this me, me, me society shit's got to stop. We're human beings. We're entitled to different opinions. We have to have different opinions. It's like styles in art. There's got to be a lot. The more, the, the merrier. And you may not agree with someone. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with that person. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. And the community is eroding away in, in all areas of life. This sense of community. And so I think what made me happy this morning was seeing things coming together instead of things falling apart.
And I think we all need to think about that more. I mean, there's people who don't believe things that I believe. And what I believe, I believe is right. But it's ignorant for me to say they're wrong, if that makes sense. We all have our own reality. As much as I might not believe in religion, there are religious people who believe in their religion as much as I don't believe in it. I have no right to tell them they're wrong. And I, to, to have this attitude like I can't be around you is insane. I don't have that attitude. But whatever the topic is, what you have to understand is as much as you believe this way, someone else believes the other way. And for you to believe... I mean, I believe I'm right in, in what I think, but I'm open to hearing another opinion and maybe maybe some information would educate me. Maybe my belief would change. Maybe it wouldn't. But I respect the other belief because they're entitled to it. And this intolerance shit is crazy. I'm trying to say something. I'm just not finding the words. It's just crazy to think because you have one thought system that it's the only one that can exist and that anyone else who thinks differently, you can't hear from them or you have anger towards them or you hate them. Maybe there's something to learn from this. Maybe talk to someone who disagrees with you. And I'm talking about talk, have an open-minded discussion. The more I, I think about this and the more I have conversations like this, I find there's a middle area where we all probably agree, yet everyone's acting like extremists. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so that, I, I don't want to go negative there. That There's hope. There is, let's come together. Let's, let's build instead of destroy. And, uh, I mean, I was going to talk a lot about this, um, culture and what's eroding at it, but it's, there's no point. It's negative. It's backwards. Let's move forward. Speaking of forward, let's move into this, this conversation. Uh, I have with Eddie Stacy another tattoo artist from Mink and Dagger. Um, very early on in my apprenticeship, I connected with Eddie. We're both about the same age. We're both married with kids. We both come from a uh, similar art influences in life, skateboarding and punk rock. Um, we come from very different areas and very different experiences, but in some way, as artists, I think we come from the same place. Um, so uh, Eddie's been like a brother to me there. 
and I uh, was really excited to get the chance to talk to him. And uh, I'll, I'm going to keep doing these with the Ink and Dagger crew and then other tattoo artists. But um, I guess that's about it. Let's uh, let's tune in on that one. You're a big Star Wars nerd, right? Oh yeah. You're pretty. Wow. Careful! Don't hurt yourself. As we're I'll be the first started. one that gets hurt on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You're really old now. <laughs> I bruised my elbow. <laughs> so, uh, where did the Star Wars nerdum start with you? Was it the first movie? You know, I think through college, I did so much hallucinogens and different things that I've really lost chunks of my childhood. <laughs> it's just gone. <laughs> just gone. Uh, I, I spent a year, about four years ago, trying to actually do a chronological of my 20s, like where I lived and shit, and I couldn't do it. Dude, I did a ton of hallucinogens. <laughs> my memory's fine. Might be the marijuana and alcohol. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I did or that, the, too. The, the head traumas. There's well, been several head that traumas. That might have something to do with it. But um, no, I, no, I think I basically, ever since uh, I saw it when I was five, my... My grandmother. Yeah, you're my. You're a year younger than me. Yes. You're seventy three or seventy two. Seventy two. Okay, I'm seventy two. I'm December seventy two. Okay, I'm June. Yeah. So I mean, I was. I had turned five, and we were in Torrance, Los Angeles, that area, and that's where my, all my relatives on one side of the family live. And basically, my grandmother, which blew my mind. We all knew it was coming out. Everybody knew about Star Wars. There was a big. You know, fervor over it, but no was one, it really? Yeah, I mean, no one knew what it was. My grand, my aunt, I just remember being completely blindsided by it. Like we went and saw it, and I, nothing like that had ever existed. Oh yeah, and we were like, "What the hell just happened?" Well, we were stoked. We didn't know why, you know, but we were, we were you know five years old, and my aunt, who my grandmother and grandfather had a late child, my mom was already like you know in her, well into her teens when my uh, aunt was born. So she was in her, like, I guess in her t- early 20s or maybe even before that when this happened. So she was the one pumping it up. Okay. And she okay. was in college and she wanted to see this, a sci-fi thing. And so it was my grandmother, my aunt, my brother, myself, and a couple of my cousins. And we all went to Delamo Shopping Mall in Torrance, which is like the biggest shopping mall during the time. And we went and saw it. And just, I mean, I literally, I can't remember how mind-blowing it was. I just remember it was mind-blowing. Like, yeah, yeah, it changed We didn't know everything. what lasers sounded like. We didn't no. have n- any idea. And then I got older, and the funny thing is I realized um, I was in college, and I had been all about Star Wars. We had, you know, everything was Star Wars, and this was back when Star Wars was, you're a nerd. Yeah. You know, if you liked right, it. Right. And uh, I was in college, and during a, it was a philosophy class, they gave us a list of different projects you could do, and one of them was to listen to these tapes by a guy on myth and mythology. Yeah. His name was Joseph Campbell. Oh, Campbell, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was like, I love myth and mythology, different cultures. Yeah. I was an anthropology minor in college. And so I went and I checked him out. And he was being interviewed by a guy named Bill Moyer, uh-huh. who's on like 60 Minutes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bill Moyer is my, my grandmother's cousin. Oh, really? She's Mabel Moyer. And they, it was like a kind of a, you know, weird little... Uh-huh. You know, a juxtaposition. I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this guy, and I uh, I watched it. And he's just a really interesting guy to listen to. His, his his speaking style, everything, super neat. And Joseph Campbell, you know, went through this whole thing, and he actually hit on the fact that Lucas was a fan of his. Like yeah. Lucas oh, was yeah. into Obviously. his stuff. Yeah. And the story, from what I got, there's a, a samurai's tale of uh, 
like a lord. I always get this. It's a confusing way to explain this, but there was a samurai lord that was fighting another samurai, and he went into that samurai's camp and kidnapped his, his son. His son was an infant. Mm-hmm. And then he raised that son to think that his, his actual dad, his real dad, you know, was killed by this guy. Right. And so he basically goes out and vows to, you know, regain his father's honor and, and kill this dude. And he kill, he mortally wounds him on the battlefield, whips off his helmet and realizes, oh, shit, that's my dad. Right, right, right. And so basically that whole thing is Star Wars in a nutshell. Sure, sure. You know, so I... And I assume you've seen Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. I have seen... I've seen it. I've, it was back in college, actually. Okay. I'd probably like to revisit that. Yeah. But I, I got into the Jedi's, the Samurai, you know, which is the name for the Samurai right, right. movies, um, for a while. And then okay. I... And it was back when I was really heavy into Japanime as well. Okay. And I just, you know, it kind of fell by the wayside. And Star Wars did for a while there. And yeah, 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 yeah. And the episode one through three didn't go... Didn't do too much to like revitalize right. it amongst us like no. diehards, so yeah, I uh, I fell in love with it in a whole new way as a samurai's tale. Sure, and the Buddhist teachings of like Yoda and stuff like that. It it gave it another layer. Absolutely. And so I, you know, I I got into it again. I feel like it introduced our generation to Eastern philosophy. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of us grew up kind of like with that in the back of our head. And I think it opened a lot of us up to Japanese as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the the whole concepts that are are portrayed in Star Wars, which I think the the latter two have really kind of reconnected with a little bit. Sure. That mystical, you know, I mean, one through three, everyone can bash them, I mean, roughly, but they're... They seemed out of context. They almost seemed like they were Earth-born humans, their future. Right. As opposed to this uh, really different future where everything's real 70s. galaxy far, far away a yeah, long time ago. mustaches <laughs> right. and weird buttons everywhere. <laughs> and that was what made it cool. You know? so that's, what, that's what gave it charm. And, you know, and the, the new ones just seemed charmless to me. Yeah. So. so what was childhood like for you? You know, the older I get, the older I get, the more the more freaky it's, it it sounds, man. I mean, well, tell me, what was freaky? I was a desert rat. I was I was raised in the Mojave Desert, and the stuff that I saw coming up is just younger kids are like, "Are you all right?" You know, like it's <laughs> like, what did you see? Yes, tell me some stories. We okay. I I grew up. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced early, and I was in the. My mom was like a Redondo Beach surfer girl. Okay. And she was very much more like um, tarot cards and but okay. very down to earth. Right. And, and she just embraced, you know, Carlos Castaneda and, and that other side. And uh, my dad was just a blue collar, old Irish, you know, bar brawling cat. And right. So I, I had a real juxtaposition there between sure. these uh-huh. two t- these two people. So what did your mom do? Like, I mean, in the seventies, single mom did what she could. Okay. You know, she uh, she was a. Secretary at a psychiatrist's place uh, during the day. Uh-huh. And then in the uh, evenings, like three or four times a week, sometimes more, she would be a waitress at the 29 Palms Inn, and she would wait tables till 10 o'clock at night. Uh-huh. And when she got home, I used to be, she'd bring home grape knee-high <laughs> and, and star, you know, and uh, licorice. And so okay. I was like, you know, God, work some more, Mom. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then... Uh, during the weekends, once a month, she would go and she would do accounting for a pool place. So she worked. She had a, like a tireless work ethic. Sure. And so I was one of those classic, you know, 80s latchkey kids. Yep. You know, I was just going to say it. I realized later in my mode of thinking that how much more like 80s sitcom my programming is. 
How you know so? What I mean? How so? Well, like if it's not solved in 30 minutes, they kind of lose interest. <laughs> you know? I'm just like, it's not a, it's weird. It's like a. Do you ever wonder where the laugh track is in life? Oh God, I wish I had one. I want a soundtrack where I can play like 70s shaft disco music. Oh, I'd love that. Just strut down the street. And what did dad do? Dad was a plasterer and a sign painter, but he did cartoons. He's a big, big daddy Ed Roth fan. Sure. And he would, he dabbled in pinstriping and stuff for friends, but he was a sign painter, died in the rule. That's what he wanted to do. Okay. But the family, I'm a family of Irish masons at all. You know, it was all plastering and rock work. And I mean, we did it all. We owned a lumberyard. Okay. So your artistic interest probably stemmed from him in some way. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So was pinstriping a hobby, a side job? It was, you know, small town. Toronto Palms is a very small town, and it's got a military base there. Mm-hmm. So you do have money coming in, but it's, it's you know, relatively few. So the bulk of it was construction. And then when he could, he would do sign painting, but he also had narcolepsy. It's one of the reasons I found that I think I'm so into sloths. <laughs> because, <laughs> Okay, you know, well, uh, let, let, I want to hear this, but back sure, up yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah. So just because... Yeah. One of the things I think that's going to be interesting about this podcast now is it's been pretty focused on comic book creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done a couple of writers and a musician. Um, but now I'm kind of, because my this podcast, if anything, is kind of autobiographical. So now that I'm getting tattooing, I'm bringing that into this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my apprenticeship in tattooing is going to be very much about bridging these two worlds in some way. Oh, yeah. So... I know what the sloth thing is, but tell the readers or the listeners who might not know what what the sloth thing is. You know, that's a it's it's a, it's, a weird, it's an interesting question because it's like, man, what is the sloth thing? I don't, <laughs> I uh, I find myself like explaining it, but in the same hand, not really. It, it almost just kind of manifested. It, I, it, they're tattoos you do. Yeah, I okay. I I worked with Kelly Doty right. of. Of TV fame, super of recent superhuman beings. She's awesome, and she did a tattoo of her style, big eyes, very right. cartoon version of a uh, sloth hanging from a tree, and it was just I don't know. I, I loved it. And I've always liked sloths, right? Um, and so I, I, you know, requested to get one from her, and I, I wanted it to be like a a old like Blue Ridge, you know, hillbilly sloth with a banjo and a still behind him, you know. Right. What I mean? And um, so I drew something up because I'm impatient, and I drew something up, and one of my clients liked it. And she moved um, up north to open up her own shop. I didn't get it done. Um, but, you know, it, the die was cast, kind of. So I basically sure. went and my one client liked it. I, I did one, a version of it. And That's then, not the one. No, it was, it was a, the I actually, first one you did. First one I did was an Amazon sleeve okay. on a super cool client. And I basically, he, he had this area that was a cover-up. And he was like, well, what do you put there on the inside of the arm? And I was like, how about a sloth? And he was down. And so once I did that one sloth... And people saw my drawing of the sloth. It just, it's steamrolled. And now I've done over 40-something. Right, but now your sloths are kind of a, a jam. Or they're, what do the kids call it uh, when they, a mashup? Yeah, always, yeah. So it's well, always I'm a graffiti a, writer. I, I wrote, I wrote graph, you know, for, right. for almost, well, you can only really write graffiti when it's illegal. So I, I did about 12 years, <laughs> right, right. and I got popped, and then I did old-time graffiti, which means you're doing it legally. Right. Um, but, yeah, that was... That was one of the things. You take normal people in, in like police or whatever, and you turn them into animals. You, right. you, you cartoon them, and and you kind of, you know, I actually thought about doing a comic book for a long time. That was uh, it was basically Zootopia. 
Oh, okay. They turned okay. into Zootopia, but I was going to be like a comic before comics just died, you mm-hmm. know, the, the comic strip newspaper style. Um, and yeah, that was that was the mashup. I always find pop icons and then, you know, you know, slam them into so you, you've uh, sloth done like bodies. a Batman sloth. You've done a Joker sloth. An Edgar Allan Poe sloth. Edgar Allan Poe sloth. Yeah, I mean, uh, a Mona Lisa sloth. Uh, right. Um, astronaut sloth. We called him... Uh, Neil Yonstrong. Right. Yeah. All of them have it. We a name, name them. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It was me, uh, like me, Charlie, and Will at the shop. They would, they'd help me. Um, and sometimes my client, you kind of come up with interesting names. And some of them, it's just, you, you can't do it. And you've done Star Wars sloths? I've done uh, a Chewbacca sloth, which just right. fits. Right. You right. know, um, <laughs> and I've done. I've done Harry Potter and, and Lord of the Rings sloths. You know, what right, I mean? right, I did right. Lego sloth, right, Lego right. sloth. And, uh, those guys and the Gan Sloth and Harry right. Slother. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm actually doing a book now that I'm, I want to release. It's going to be a digital. That's right. It's going to have that stuff all inclined. So this is just one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere and took off for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, I, there was a point in my tattooing where I realized if I'm going to be happy in this career, uh, you know, cause you, you can only do so much and then it becomes work. Right. And I, if I want, I was just gonna be happy. I have to do things that I'm really like wake up going. I get to do that today. Sure. And so I've tried to find that. I find that in Japanese, you know, neo traditional Japanese. What I do, um, illustrative, depending on the subject matter. But a lot of it, and I also like the black and gray portraits are fun. They get me pumped. But doing stuff that I feel is different, mm-hmm. and that I can still enjoy on, on on every level. Right. And sloths hit that. You know, I, I definitely enjoy it, and I'm kind of progressing my little niche. And we've talked about how niche, I mean, in the world, niche matters nowadays. When it used to be something that was, you know, uh, a part of something, now it's the whole thing. Like, if you can grab a niche in what you do, yeah, you're successful. Yeah, I think, I, I just feel like the audience or the clients or the fan base, whatever you, you want to call them, if they can... There, there's so much information. There's an onslaught of information on all of us. So if they can easily put you into a category in their mind, they'll remember you like Eddie Sloths. Done. He's the sloth guy. I know who he is. Exactly. And that might. Uh, we don't tend to think um, in variables anymore. It is pretty much. Yeah. There's a bunch of cysts so much, around. Yeah. It's all absolutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much information coming at everybody, and everyone's attention span is. Yeah, well, that, so isn't, that the, isn't that the big thing they're talking about now with the president, that we're, we have too much information and no real facts? You know, yeah, we're not, well, we're, everything that's is, a whole media there's thing. A whole, yeah, there's a whole, <laughs> there's so many spins. It seems like everybody's yeah. a little bit of a lawyer in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But with this, you know, I definitely, we've talked about this uh, at the shop, that when you have like a full sleeve that someone took a year to do that's beautiful and intricate, on Instagram it'll get 500 likes. Yeah, because they, have... they're not going to take the time no. to zoom into the photograph and really look at it. Yeah, there's no investing. It's got to be a, a, a like softball size, easily digestible, very quick yeah. read, on to the next one, click like. That's it. And if you can get that mixed with something unique so that you catch them with the simplistic you know, side of it, but it, they look deeper and they're like, oh, oh, wow, then you got yourself a home run. You know, it's right, that's, right. It's, it's very bizarre. We're we're playing down our tattoos. Well, I've been I think. thinking about that because I think about someone like Gogway who's doing body suits, but is, is very very popular. I he, that guy's a demigod. I mean, no, I, no, and no I doubt. met him. He's like a great guy, but yeah. he's. I mean, what he does. 
but let me he's on a different level what i think is his large scale tattoos like normally when you see a sleeve it's a bunch of a bunch of small areas of focus Whereas, like, when I look at a Gogwe, he'll have, like, a human head the size of someone's entire back. Oh, yeah. So it's almost the same as a small tattoo in that you can look at it, identify it easily. It's not a bunch of intricate little parts. Sure. Well, those intricate parts is where your lack of, of um, technical ability can be lost in that. Right. You can hide that. Right. When or, you go or big shine. like that, and you, yeah, when you go big like that, you have to be technically sound or it sure. just comes off. Oh, sure. You know, but um, I just, it, it's easy. It's an easy thing to like. Like, I wonder, oh, sure. um, like, when I look at someone like Lux Altera and the, like, the textural biomechy sleeve mm-hmm. he would do, it's all about the little tiny, like, getting in there. Yeah. And that, like, I, I don't know where I'm going. I just feel like, if you're talking about the quick likes on Instagram, I guess he's pretty damn popular too. So yeah. never mind. Well, and he doesn't he doesn't lobby to be. He just he posts stuff. He's very much I don't think about the uh, politics. of Instagram. Oh no no! I sat in on a talk with him and then another one, Gogway, when I went to that mm-hmm. Paradise Gathering with Russ. Yeah, and they were both great to to listen to speak. Sure. Yeah, and yeah, I didn't get anything. Well, his his background. I mean, the thing about him that makes him unique is that. Well, there's a lot of things, but that he came from a very talented art family. His mom Did does he? landscapes and stuff, so beautiful. Oh, okay. And he's doing, I feel, more what a oil painter would do with sure. tattooing. Sure. He's taking it. I mean, you get an oil painter who's who's um, been doing it a while. They tend to want to start to go bigger and bigger and and, right. get, and be more grandiose with what they're doing. It's more powerful. Right. Not that a smaller piece isn't, but it's it's almost like uh, inlaid into the the structure of a bigger tattoo that it's going to be powerful. Right. And he's, you know, he does it. He's I mean, I think the the big thing about that when you get into that is composition, a lot of the mm-hmm. the principles of design which he's a master at, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I, that, that's what we joke about Ink Master is that, um, yeah, he is. And there's very sure. few that are, can be considered that. A master is something I don't think well, that can be thrown around. You know no, I mean? and I agree with you. But again, that that show is very much symptomatic of, of, of where we are today. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not about, Russ and I kind of touched on this, it's not about quality of work, it's about how well known are you? Well, and that's how why I thought him and I, you know, because we went through the whole process. Him and I being on the show, I would have loved to seen him in that situation. Sure, because um, he just he excels at stuff like that without wanting to. Yeah. Now, like our reasons for not being on the show and all that, it just become more and more valid. Yeah, I don't know what the longer good I've comes been away out of from that. It. I, I honestly. No, I, I appreciate it. People go on it. Good for you. you yeah, know, yeah, it's, to it's, each their own. But I just awesome thought that... about knowing you. I think you and I are a lot alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just worried about how they would portray you on the show yeah. oh, and yeah. how they would fuck with your mind on the show. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm and a... it, I don't know that you would have come out of that in a, if much positive. Smelling like a rose? <laughs> right. No, I, uh, right. I definitely. Yeah, uh, well, it's that. Um, the older I get, the more Irish I feel. You know what I mean? Like, I, uh, it's, you know, and I'm not Irish. My family's from Kildare, and I got family from all over Europe. But I, I identify with that, whereas I'm emotional. 
You know, uh-huh. I'm not afraid to cry in front of you, but if you make fun of me, I'll punch you in the mouth. You right. know what I mean? So <laughs> we, we have, you know, we're, we're kind of a complex, there yet was, simple culture. <laughs> um, so I don't mind it, but I definitely would have been looking like an ass. I think it was, I forget which book it was. It was the, the one about it takes like 40,000 hours to master a craft. You've heard this. God damn it, I'm behind then because I've probably got over that and still don't feel like I'm a master. Uh, well, that, that's, <laughs> we'll go there. But uh, but I forget I forget the name. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. But there's a part in that where he talks about uh, cultures and um, how people are different. He talks about Irish culture sure. and how and why they are the way they are. Oh, I'd like um, to hear that. It's yeah. really good. It's, probably it's be, really. Be they call it. I think he called it a culture of built on honor, and that's why there's such a like a strict standard. And there's there's a lot of anger if if things are done in a dishonorable way. Oh or yeah, way. And, well, outrage. Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth listening to that. So that's, that's why I get so pissed on 400 driving around. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, things, these these are dishonorable it, yeah, people driving. Around. Right. Yeah, it's I, exactly I it. It's exactly it. You should, uh, I'll, when we get off of here, I'll, I'll pull it up sure. just cause I have it. Um, it's worth, it's really worth listening to, but it, it says to, be not maybe not a master, but to excel at something, you sure. need to put in four. I'm pretty sure it's forty thousand hours. I'd agree, but I also believe that like no statement's hundred percent true. I think that's true, but it's also about guidance. If I'm sure. sailing a vessel for forty thousand hours, doesn't mean I'm getting to port. No, right, right. You know, it no, has right. to have a, a direct. Right, you have to but have some the, the book is all all, all sure. about that. I mean, it talks about well, the Beatles got so good because they put in their forty thousand hours. When they were teenagers playing nightclubs. Well, yeah, maybe that's part of it too, because nowadays in tattooing as well, you don't need to. Well, that's not just tattooing. Yeah. That I mean, that gets back to what I was saying about the TV show. I mean, there's people that come into comics um, who did some pinups or drawings on Tumblr and found an audience and did really well and didn't do much comics work, and they they Russ and I talked on this too. They are offered very high-profile jobs in comics and come in and do very well very fast because the publisher sees in them, and this is where these are tricky times because the publisher wants to make money, and they say, I could hire, like it used to be, and Russ, I mean, not to be repetitive, but Russ and I talked about in order for a publisher in comics to give you a job, they had to feel like, no one knows who this person is. We're going to take a chance on them. So their craft has to be strong enough for a publisher to be like, I think you're going to hit an audience when this comes out. Sure. Nowadays, that doesn't happen. Now it's like, oh, you've built your audience on your own because you drew a bunch of pinups people liked yeah. or did a, a bunch of sketches people liked. So you've got 100,000 followers. That means that we can make money off you now. So... Never mind learning the craft here, and and they do really well. Now, is that good or is that bad? And, I mean... That's a hard one to answer, too. Right. So, you know, being because you answer, you answer I'm an no, old, cranky bitter. person, so <laughs> yeah, I have exactly. my opinions on this. Yeah, but does it ultimately hurt the medium? Probably not terribly, but I do feel like the craft of... St- storytelling in comics has taken a dip from that. It doesn't hurt the face of the building, but I think it definitely weakens the structure. Right, but on the other hand, comics are more creatively diverse in this country than they've ever been. And but it's disheartening the, for the people that have had to put those dues in and, and, and well, climb to the top to watch somebody go up on a helicopter. 
Right. It's tough. It, it, I think in order to, or for me, to not let that eat me alive. Exactly. There's I, the key. I, I have just been like, everyone's on their own journey. All I got to do is worry about mine. I'm back to Eastern mythology. I mean, Eastern right. teachings. And that, well, that's been a big thing for me. Yeah. Is getting into all the Eastern thought and yoga and meditating and all that. Just to you know, it was a life changer for me. Keep my fire was... from eating me alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that creative fire can burn <clears throat> both ways. Yeah. The uh, Celestine Prophecy, when I read that when I was, <laughs> when I was young, that kind of changed everything. And I read, like, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and I read right, some Kastanada, right. and that really changed my thoughts, but not really Eastern. And then, uh, yeah, and then I read Lao Tzu, his, his uh, teachings, and that was very much, that kind of spurred a whole other deal. But, you know, that's, it's tough, I think, on two levels. The one that, you know, you're feeling like, well, what did I waste all my time you know, doing the right way right? when someone just can blow up like that. And if you get into that, that's a, that's a very negative you yeah. know, downward spiral. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've talked to this with, with uh, buddies of mine in tattooing because a lot of my buddies were, we were the last, you know, wave of cats that before it got real popular. Yeah. You, you come from a generation who had to learn how to do everything. Oh yeah. Make because meals. there was no social media. There yeah. was no, my space oh, that guy's the sloth guy. There, yeah. That didn't exist. Well, we were, we, you'd actually get made fun of if you had a computer in your tattoo shop. Yeah. They're like, what the fuck is that? Is that for bills? What's that <laughs> for? You know what I mean? You, you, you got your library and you designed it yourself. Right. And, and but you that's, had what flash the, that's what the client was buying, was your perception. Right. Or, or Flash, which was everywhere. Um, and yeah, that's changed now. It's, it's, um, it's like go back to the niche concept. And yeah, I mean, on the other level, you first one, the negative side of looking at it like, oh, God, what am I doing? Why did I do this? Uh, and the other way to look at it is I have to be proud of what I know and and not of who knows I know it. Right, right, you know? exactly. And just be about your your track because yeah. I'll, if it's not built on a solid foundation, you you can, you can build it as high as you want. It'll collapse. It'll collapse. And I'm wondering how many people that are being celebrated right now in tattooing aren't even going to be tattoo artists in 15 years. Right. And I, if there's anything that the public likes to do more than build someone up is tear them down. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, you, you, I think that was the biggest thing to come from Ink Masters for me is to watch people like Sketchy Lawyer, Jason. Jason is one of the most stand-up dudes I know. Great guy. Yeah. A great guy. Like, he, he's just, yeah, he's, he's super cool. And, you know, a good person. And to watch what social media did to him because he walked off of a contest, you know, out of the thing. Because he knew right away, you know, it got to a certain point. He's like, well, you know, this, this I ain't going to win this. Yeah. This is already, the, 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 you know, the cast have been, you know, right. diving cast. It, and they know who's going who's right. to win, roughly. And so he's like, what am I going to be staying away from my, my kids, my work, and all this for this? Right. And, man, the unleashing of of uh t- the torrent of of shit said to him That's on awful. Instagram on his thing people are so awful it was yeah i mean i think it was an eye opener for us too and and me we knew that but to see it in play when did that that happen? happened right when we basically were like nah and we were getting the so legal so a few months ago yeah we were getting all of our legal paper to to send back to them to you know to to go into i guess the clause of like we can't talk about it and all that and uh 
Yeah, it was that happened, and I saw I saw in Russ's but eyes. That's, I was like, Oof. that's what the TV show wants because that's, that's exactly what, what gets wants. the money. And well, that's why they black out the windows. That's why you, yeah, they want to break you. You have to stay in that building. They want to break you and they want to film it. That's why it's filmed in Newark, New Jersey. Right. I'm just playing. <laughs> 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 no, it's you know, and that's that's the side of it. If, like if it was if it was if we were allowed to walk around and be able to go do things, I mean, that would have been a different thing. But yeah. On the application, it actually said. No, they don't willing? want. They don't want healthy, rested people no, in that it's a show. Pressure cooker. Yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, in the in the yeah. actual application, the last one, um, it said, basically, are, are you willing to have little to no contact with friends and family for three months? And it's like. Yeah, I don't know. Why would that well, that's even what be? My wife kept saying, "How are they going to do that?" That's I, like, I, I can't not talk to my wife yeah. and kids. That's, yeah, yeah. That ain't happening, man. I'm addicted. Yeah, so. You, were you always drawing? Yeah, I mean, my first drawings were those Big Daddy Ed Roth monsters holding on to eight ball gear shifts and stuff like that. Oh, really? Tea buckets. And I How got old in, were you drawing that stuff? I think I was about four and a half. No shit. Yeah, That's fucking awesome. My dad would draw it, and I would try to copy him. So he introduced you to that culture. Yeah. Did you go around to, like, hot rod shows and On a different level, my, my brother ended up you know, getting into building hot rods. And uh-huh. He was a head painter at a uh, Cobb's Body Shop. This local did you ever thing. meet Ed Roth? No, I never did. Um, and my dad actually had bought shirts off, and they used to airbrush shirts. Yeah, yeah. There, and he had a couple workers that would airbrush with him, and they'd yeah. have, their shirts would be like twenty five bucks, and Big Daddy's would be like a hundred. And this is back uh-huh. in the sixties. Uh-huh. And my so my dad got the the understudy shirts. <laughs> you know, That's he's in the awesome. Navy and, yeah, we just you know. I started drawing those with him, and then I created my own characters, uh-huh. and then cartoon characters and stuff like that. And then it just it opened up. I, I, you know, living in the Mojave Desert, where it gets to be 115, um, I preferred being at a drawing table. Right, right. And that did heat, you get into any of the the magazine cartoons like Radical Rick or Wilbur Kookmeyer? No, um, what's funny about that is that my character was named Endo Ed. <laughs> that was his nickname. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, I, w- I was creative, but not much purpose in it. Um, but no, I got into Cartoon Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was my, because where I was at, they didn't have comic books. We didn't have a comic book store. It was a little, real small town. Mm-hmm. The 7-Eleven, it was a military town, so the 7-Eleven had guns and ammo and titties i mean that was that's all they were selling <laughs> so i we had cartoons because there's a hot rod culture out there sure the, the sure lake bay uh, that's probably the, the mother of hot rod culture oh, yeah. out there well there's a lot of builders that live out there and um you can build a big shop out in the high desert mm-hmm. and be able to just cart your stuff into orange county in la and uh yeah it was it was that magazine changed my life i've actually gone on ebay trying to buy them because that was i drawn big Four-wheel drive, stepside you know, sure. rigs and tea buckets. Tea, I, that started my love affair. I, I think I was about five when my love affair with the tea buckets okay. started. And, and any kind of rat rods, because, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a cartoon in it. I can't remember the name of it right now. It was like a Fergie and Floyd or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was two guys that would take damn near any vehicle and turn it into a tea bucket, like Roadster. <laughs> yeah, and so I was, was, to me, like the birthplace of like the rat rod 50s culture guys. So you grew up drawing. Mm-hmm. And did you just say, I know that you always wanted to be an artist? Always. So, like, what was your first job? Well, when I was 16, I got published uh, in two newspapers for cartoons. Okay. And uh, that was um, called Monroe, which is my middle name. And it was kind of like a Wonder Years cartoon. Okay. Like a strip? Yeah, yeah, strip. Oh, okay. And I did 
artwork for the high schools and I did um, silk screening my senior year. Uh-huh. And then I went on and worked for a company called Body Bag in L.A. when I was in college. And uh, that worked okay. Was what like was a, that company? It was like a surf company, but owned by uh, like diehard Christians. So it was really bizarre. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And um, basically, I was there during the the riots. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that was that was interesting time. We were making shirts and stuff like "No Jesus, No Peace" and stuff like that. And it was it was kind of a weird you know uh, scenario. That's, that's weird. And then um, I was playing college baseball, and I moved up to Kenyatta in the Bay. Uh, Kenyatta College in the Bay Area, and I actually worked as a um, a character artist on Fisherman's Wharf, Pier 39 in San Francisco. Caricatures? I, yeah, I would okay. sit. Um, what's funny about those, they look like bums, right? They're, they're out there right. on Fisherman's Wharf. Right. You wear clothes that you don't care if chalk gets all of them. Right, right. And so, and it's usually butt cold because it's sure. coming off of the, the bay there. And basically the guys would have a ton of... Uh, of spots, it's like six spots, and he would pay like a thousand dollars a month rent on like a six foot area. Of wow, no oh, shit. Yeah, and so I would I'd get paid well, but I would do those black and white or color portraits of people. We have a glove on one hand for coloring, right. line it out, and do right. that. And then when I moved out to San Diego, I started trying to do silk screening, and that's when I landed the job with uh, Osiris Shoes, and uh, it's Alias Distribution. I was their artist, and I did. Um, it was arcade skates. Um, Evol snowboards uh-huh. and uh, Osiris shoes, and that okay. was that, I did all the artwork, Thrasher magazine stuff. So you were like an in-house illustrator. For yeah, them? I did everything, color sets. And you grew up skateboarding, correct? Yeah, my yeah, since I can remember. Okay. Uh, we were on boards with clay wheels and stuff. That's all. No shit. Um, were you? I guess were you pool skating? Were you ramp skating, street skating, well, yeah, all of the above? I, my town was so poor there was no pools. So you were probably street skating mostly. We street skated mostly. There was one pool that the guy was a complete ass that it was an old like broken down um, motel. Yeah. And we'd go skate that. And we got older, we would go out to, to Nude Bowl. And Nude Bowl is the famous skate spot for Southern California and it's in the middle of the desert. And we'd go out uh-huh. and have to dig it out. A bunch of dirt would fall. Oh, out. oh! Dig it out. Bring out a, uh, you know, bring out some electrical and do, you know, uh, sit there and generator and and play music and, uh-huh. and skate it. And all the pros would come out and skate it. Okay. Alva, all those guys went out and skate. Oh, it. that's awesome. So yeah, we did that, and then I realized it wasn't going to get me in the ass. So I started playing sports more. See, that's so you know, skaters today are. Oh now, man, they no, get we into it hated. for the ass. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. were it's, hated. It's different now. Well, and I always skated. I skated my. My whole life, but I just I put my efforts more into, and I lived in a small town where if you didn't play a sport, there wasn't going to be a team because there weren't enough people to field a team. Okay. So we had our teams were filled with like gothic kids. And <laughs> it was it was weird, man. Our locker room was the weirdest locker room. You had cholo's, <laughs> gangsters, you know, um, total white supremacist dudes. We all had to play. We all had to get together. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so did you want to get into skateboard graphics? I think I always did because the animation factor in it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that, that had a big influence on me, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it still does with my art. Sure, sure. I still think, well, honestly, it's kind of funny is that the shape of it resembles a half pi- a half sleeve or yeah, a half sleeve. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I, you know, I was, um, it was eye-opening because I realized I, I shared an office with uh, Tony Magnuson, the old skater. When and, you were at Osiris? Yeah. Dude, he was, he was my favorite I, vert skater. No, sure, yeah, no, yeah I, he's, to, I loved his. Now, Tony's awesome. Like, I don't want to talk bad about him, but he is definitely a strong person. He's like, not from the States, right? No, he, I think he's from Sweden. I yeah. never really got out of him, but he had he had missing his two f- middle fingers. Yes. And so 
when he messed with me, I'd give him the horns. <laughs> like, All right, Tony, cool, man. And so he didn't like it. I mean, he played with me a lot. Like, he would mess with me a lot. And he was uh, something about Northern Europeans. It's really hard to know when they're kidding. Yeah. It, like, they're, they're very, faced. very stoic faces, and they have a very odd kind of dark sense of humor. So I would sit and hear him talk to people and stuff. And I have the utmost respect for the guy. But, wow, he was he was a Napoleon figure. And he's a short stature guy. But oh, he was, was he small? Yeah, I heard him tell his old lady once, and I don't care if he hears this, but he, he told him like, "I can, I can, I can cheat on you. You can't cheat on me. This is how it is." <laughs> I was like, "Damn, man!" I was like, "The, the I, I dream of having balls that big." Not yeah. guy would ever say that, but I'm like, "Wow." Yeah. Well, I wonder. I mean, like, I, I like, I would, I loved watching those skate videos with the aerial contest because oh, Magnuson yeah. could fly. He's a little guy too. He yeah. would, he would, he would launch. Yeah, it's hilarious. And that I, took some balls. I wish I had a camera. Because I used to watch him try to master a kickflip every day and fuck it up constantly. He couldn't do any street it, moves. It, yeah, it wasn't about that. But like, you get him on a ramp and he was like, "Yeah, he wow. could fly." Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of old time skaters would roll through there, and at that time, that was the the days of Muska and Smolik, uh-huh. and they were actually like flirting with being on the team. And when I left, I don't know if Smolik got on it or not. But um, yeah, I was you know Tyrone Olson was a good friend of mine. So how did you get that job? <laughs> on uh, the San Diego has like a, a weekly little newspaper thing called the reader uh-huh. and it had a wanted thing for a silk screen just alias distribution and uh, okay. And i walked in and it had like a smoking hot waitress or like secretary and i'm like what the? And that was the first you know thing i'm like what the hell <laughs> and she led me back to the conference room and I had a big old cyrus symbol and i was like oh yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> so they sat me down and I, I actually interviewed with tony chen who was the owner one of the he was the money guy and Doug Weston, who was like more of the marketing guy. Uh-huh. And they were owners along with Tony Magnuson. And they basically he interviewed me. Real nice guys. And I, you know, I said, come up with some drawings and come back to me. And I came up with, I don't know if you remember the Osiris symbol that looked like um, a cartoon city cut out inside of it. Uh-huh. That was my design that I came back with them. And they actually they hired me on the spot and oh. and started mass producing that 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 sticker and it was on shirts and so you were stoked. Yeah, oh yeah, man. I, it was, it was, but it was also very disheartening because I realized that it's a corporation and it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not that homies hooking up homies kind of thing that I thought it was. And some of them are, man. Some of them like Dark Star. There's certain, certain ones that are still very much about the writers and, uh-huh. and what the writers do. But I remember Tony Magnuson telling me once, he's like, you know, um, go down to the, the the skate shop. It was a major skate shop in San Diego, and he's like, you know, go down and, and see what the other lines are doing. And we'll come up with something off of that. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, man, that just seems heartless <laughs> to me. And it was when they were everybody was doing one where it was like every one of their pros picked like either like a poisonous insect uh-huh. or a, a, a dictator, like chocolate did dictators, uh-huh. like South American dictators. And all right, that. right, right. And ours, were, <laughs> ours was the no arm, no leg jokes. <laughs> yeah, right? So... Yeah, and to clarify that, it was like, what has no arms and no legs and sits out front of your door? Matt. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Or Art and Skip and all, Bob. All that stuff. So, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a kind of an eye-opener. And I realized, I went to ask for a raise, and they're like, we don't have it. And I'm like, yeah, I know you guys do. You know, um, I, So how long have you been working there at this point? It was about a year and a half. Okay, and how old were you? Oh, God, I was 23 or 24. Okay. Yeah, around there. And then, like, once again, my chronology, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I was young and dumb. That's all I remember. 
And I basically, I'm a very prideful guy. So even though I worked for him, I was like, yeah, if you guys don't give me this, I'm out. And, that was good. Yeah, and they was good. They said no one does it's that not anymore. in there. And I was like, well, I respectively, we're, we're parting ways. And they used my artwork for a while. Sure. I, I saw it. But they were they were really cool, man. It was a really good experience. Osiris is a cool company. And, and I didn't dislike any single person that worked there. Everybody was cool. They're skaters, man. They have, like, the best life ever. Sure, sure. You know, it's like... You got to go around and not grow up and get to be right. loved for it. Right. I mean, jeez, <laughs> right. really? Live like an asshole. Yeah, I mean, and if you are an asshole in that in that regard, it's it's hard. To, you're trying, right? You right. Because they're so they're such laid back good dudes, man. There, it was really it was a good experience. But I realized I needed to find something that I had a little more say in my success. Okay. And tattooing, I've courted it my whole was life. Was that the very next thing? Oh yeah. Well. I went from there and I moved out to Phoenix and I was in a metal band out there that was punk when I was fronting it. And then they turned metal called Sons of Sarah. And um, I did a silk screening job out there. And Arizona is like a, it's a fire state. Like if you, if they can fire you for no reason. Uh huh. So the guy that um, I was working for just came in and was like, yeah, don't need you no more. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I moved back and I've been you know, drawing flash for tattooers. And okay. So at that point, I said, I'm just going to make this a little, like, what, side gig. What got you started drawing flash? Basically moving back to my hometown and realizing I could live there cheap, and I would rent a rental car and, uh-huh. and hit a different city a day and uh, try to make five to ten shops if the traffic was good. And, and just selling flash sheets? Just selling my, yeah, my sets. I would, I would design a set, take me about three weeks, and then uh, all in pencil and stuff, just hideous, uh-huh. hideous new school stuff. <laughs> and um, I basically would go around selling it. And it actually, it's weird, man. It it kind of germinated my name in tattooing, though, because yeah, I could see that. a lot of people I know come back to me now and go like, oh, I used to have your flash. You know, it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> so you have bad taste, too. So someone had the, did someone offer you an apprenticeship? What? At my door? Yeah. Hold on. All right. Looks like we're picking up right where we left off. <sighs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I like how I said my door like there's any other door here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just heard a tap tap. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm trying to figure out where we left off. You were selling Flash. Mm-hmm. And that was getting so. Oh, I was asking you, was an apprenticeship offered to you, or did you pursue it? Several, yeah, several were offered from the shops that I was going around to. Uh huh. And uh, basically, it just it didn't fit. I couldn't I couldn't move. I was in that hometown, and I actually was buying a duplex. I was like renting one out, living in the other. Uh huh. And so I couldn't really uproot. And those were apprenticeships back apprenticeships back then. I mean, I had one offered to me at Tattoo U on Hollywood Boulevard. Whereas I would be let in and out with the shop. Like, I would have to sleep in the in the office at night. Uh-huh. And then when they opened shop in the morning, I would work. So I'd never leave. And i never leave, unless I was going to buy stuff for the shop and all that. But I would never leave. And I just, you know, I didn't make, you know, sense. And the, my hometown was the type of situation where if somebody did apprentice me, yeah, the rest of the owners in town would be pissed because I was a professional artist and I was going to, like, take money off their plate, you know. Okay. That's how it used to be. So there was some resentment there. Yeah, you'd almost have to when you did apprenticeships kind of, like, 
seek out other owners. I had a few artists kind of give me that vibe yeah. when they heard I was apprenticing. Yeah. Not at the shop here, just artists I've met. It's, you know, it's an old school thought. It used to be, whereas, you know, there's a certain amount of food on the table. And if you keep yeah. inviting more people, then all of us are going to get less. Right. You know, that's, that's the You thing. know, that, this was a question I was going to ask for us, but maybe it's better for us to talk about. It's that mentality. It seems there's a real um, protective nature within this medium uh, when it comes to teaching new people how to do it. Oh, yeah. Where does that come from? I think we're, we're talking about a craft really brought about by journeymen. And sure. People that everyone can go buy these tools at the market kind of thing, but using them is, is a different thing. That's something that you know, you be let into doing. It's not something that, you know, uh, you just get to do. Right. You know? And nowadays because of YouTube and because of how easy it is to get tattoo supplies, that um, uh, that 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 wall has been broken down. Is it know? because there's no gatekeeper to say? Like in comics, like you have to convince a publisher to give you a job. So you, I mean, I guess now I now you can just go out and do it, sure. Yeah. And if you had money, you could always just go do it. But well, don't get me wrong. There's always been that that group of people that have been trying to get in, but they usually were pushed down by public opinion. Like mm -hmm. y we were all kind of beholden to each other. Like you know, um, especially the, the big time cats. How they they kind of you know showed us the way, and that's how it went. But what's happened is, I think over the last ten years. All of us have watched people that held high regard of like tradition mm -hmm. not give a shit. Yeah. And so there when it's you see it crumbling from the top, it's a matter of time before it trickles down. And now it, it's just it's it's basically the bastion of old timers that look at it and are just grumbling about how it used to be. And I made this analogy with the tattoo when I did my um uh tattoo magazine interview, the the video, is that it's like we're, we're sitting on the side of a mountain and there's a huge, you know, there's a river that's given us our food forever. You know, we fish it every day. That river has been swelling and swelling with the amount of people getting into it. Uh -huh. And the river bank was always the traditions that kept us all in line. You uh -huh. know, don't open a shop a mile from another shop. Don't, you know, these type of things. You know, if you learn to tattoo, don't open a shop in the place you learned how to tattoo. These were like traditions that. And, were and held. beliefs held amongst the community. And enforced by cut-off thumbs with bolt cutters or hands dipped in, you know, vat grease and stuff like that. It uh -huh. was it was held, you know, and police didn't even look into it. It was like, <laughs> you were your own people. Like, you shouldn't be able to dial 911 from a tattoo shop. That's how it used to be. You know what I mean? Like, right. just handle it yourself kind of thing. And those things have all kind of eroded, and that that water's swollen and gone over the banks. And so as the guy that's built his house close to that river, I, I got two options. You know, I can sit there and scream at the river for all of the wrong it's doing. Right. Or I can just build my house a little further back from the river and understand that that's nature, that's how it's supposed to go. It's sure. not, you know, river swell. They'll, re they'll reduce, I don't think, ever back to the old way, but it'll, you know... it. There's a pendulum concept in any type of social scheme, right? And I think it's going to go that route. I think we're going to we're going to see kind of a callback to tradition. I don't think the tools. I think rotaries are here yes. to stay. Yeah. If if the current, and, I mean beyond tattooing, I think in, in everything. If yeah. if the current statement is no little respect for tradition in paying dues, and then the 
movement against that will be very much. Yeah. And I think it's going to be in a form of like shops that do it, that stick to it, that everyone goes, I want to be like them. I mean, that's the problem we have with our political system nowadays is that you have windsocks that just do whatever the mob wants them to do. Right. And if you like in tattooing, if you leave the mob to its own devices, you'll see what you, we're kind of we're kind of getting that right now. But if you have leaders, cats that go out and show this is the way to do it, this is how it goes, then people people want to follow. That's the messed up part about humanity is people want to follow someone that's greater sure. than them. Sure. And and I am not a, I'm not a everybody gets a trophy top guy. I, I think no, that yeah. there are people that live in this world that are greater than I could ever be. Yes. They're just more in tune with whatever makes this whole thing tick. They're better people. You know, they give a lot of their money to charity. They give their time to charity. They care for their family members. There's people that I can say are better than me. Now, is their human life more valuable than mine? No. We're all, human life's valuable on every aspect. All life is. But there are people that have taken the time to better themselves that are better. And those are the people that we look forward. I mean, Russ is one of them that, that, that help, you know, transcend a lot of us. Sure. They, they help bring us all with them. You, you know, it's that Moses concept, you know, there isn't one, um, uh, Jewish, uh, slave in Egypt that didn't want to do what Moses right. had them do. Right. But they found someone that they could rally around and we need that in tattooing. And it's constantly changing. So I'm not even sure. I mean, I really, the older I get, the less I know. I mean, I really don't know what's going to happen in the next 20 years if those leaders will surface or if we'll continue like a steerless, you know, a rudderless ship. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me in tattooing because there's no corporate entity mm-hmm. running it. That's one of the things I find kind of attractive about it. Yeah, you it know, is. like It's great working for Marvel and DC, but they're, they're big corporations now and... and with that comes corporate mentality and things, you know, the corporation wouldn't like if you did this. And, yeah. and as an artist, that can be, it's not always, but it can be a bit um, disheartening, maybe a way to put it. Um, so I'm excited about tattooing because there isn't that. No. But so. Well, you're self motivated and that's what you need in tattooing. You yeah, need to set I'm, your own goals because it's not going to give you any. Right. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. good at that. You know, I'm good, <laughs> you I'm good see at that. that. It's huge. <laughs> you know, it's a huge, it's a huge asset. Uh, but uh, just, I guess, back to the question is: so, apprenticing seems to me to be built to be a bit grueling. Oh yeah. A bit. Uh, it seems to be designed to to make someone quit unless they are. Uh, Unless it's in them to just do this, it's an Ironman contest. It's like okay. it definitely tests your appreciation, if not your your drive to be the artist. Well, it used to, right, right. And, and I'm saying this from a very different position because I'm not doing a traditional no. apprenticeship, um, but, but I, mean, I I am doing aspects of a traditional apprenticeship, and I am noticing that it, like if I'm at a comic book convention and I meet and like uh, frequently tattooers will come by and buy a book from me or get to talking to me uh, some who are fans of this podcast and uh, some of them when I say I'm apprenticing there's a bit of like well are you really apprenticing yeah you know it's amazing 
go back to that, like, uh, you know, the, the river kind of analogy. It's, you have, there's so much more, you know, to worry about. You, when you're bringing people in into this game nowadays, because it's not like how it was before, you and you'd be washing cars in a rainstorm, right? You right, know? You'd right. Be That's washing, what I'm talking about. Yeah, washing <clears throat> people's laundry. You'd be doing the crap that you know, and it's not because people hate you or want to treat. It's, right. It's an old. We, we talk about this like my my group of people I grew up with. It's a warrior mentality. Where mm-hmm. We don't show weakness. You fuck with each other all the time. Right. You know, you're constantly. If somebody shows a little bit of their uh, of their their neck tissue, you sink your teeth in. <laughs> you know, and that's it, it's verbal hyenas basically. Right. You know, I mean, you hobble a lit, bit, and they're all over you. Right. And so it's a little bit of that. I mean, that's that's what the blue collar world is is, is has sure. always been. Okay. It's it's uh, humor at the cost of each other. It's um, but you don't take it personal. You just don't narrow it on one person too much. Right. Well, it, it's it's. In some ways, similar to the hazing you would get if you were pledging a fraternity, or in the military. In the military, I mean, same a lot thing. Of tattoos now that, come from I, that's, military that's kind of, well, that's what I was. That's what I was getting at. With the question was, does that come from the military culture? It comes from a, a modernly made four-letter word, you know, <laughs> called man. I know it's not a four-letter word, but that's what I mean. Being a man, and in every aspect, it used to be this way. My grandfather's generation. You know, these were, regardless of, of who they were, they shared a tom, a common grit. Right. You know, where you would, you know, cuss like a sailor and fight like a, you know, a banshee, and then you were right. in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> right. You know, and that was that was the man's thing. It was a very weird little thing, but that's how men acted. And that's how I grew up always appreciating. I would... You know, I always like watching the athletes that, you know, like broke a finger and kept playing and and people that were bloodied at the end of it. And still that that determination, that will that I am not going to ask for a handout. This is I'm going to do this. Right, right, right. That, it's that mentality that made up the tattoo world. Right. But where did the the protective nature come from? Like this is a this is a special secret. And in order for you to learn it, because it was gonna... handed to them in that way, I think that. If you're given a gift and you appreciate that gift, you want to give it in the same manner. Okay. And a lot of it is that the fact that you can't just get it. You know, you couldn't before. You couldn't get it on YouTube. You couldn't get any tattoo supplies. You couldn't. You didn't know a, a one iota. If you're sitting in it, I mean, I get it a lot when I'm tattooing, and, and uh, my client's friend or something, or my client will be like, "So, how do you make your needles?" Or and starts asking me questions. Back in the day, that was the biggest no-no you could yeah, possibly do. Yeah, but that's what do. I'm trying to get to. Where yeah. does that come from? Like in comics. As a kid, I could have gone to a comic convention, met yeah. one of my heroes, asked them some tips on figure drawing, and they would have been like, oh, here, let me show you, and spend an hour with you, you showing also, you how to do that. The comic artist is by far, I feel, way more of a, a personable, like nicer. I mean, we're talking tattooers. used to be guys that it was this jail or working in, okay. a, in a, you know, these were these were dudes that were beat as kids. They were, you know, grew up with uncles that would knock them out occasionally. These were like... <laughs> gritty cat okay. so any bit of soft side was a weakness and okay. that's how it's always been okay. if i you know bill burr says a bu- a best people <laughs> people drop dead of heart attacks because right. they, they men their whole in. life just yeah. want to pet a puppy right. or say right. something's cute <laughs> and they can't do it and they hold it in yeah. you know and that's that's the group i grew you know up with and that's the tattoo community i always felt at home in tattooing i didn't sure. home in tattoo shops because these were my dad. I mean, I'm from the age where my dad would, would plot me down on a bar stool, uh, you know, and go to the bar 
at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was, you know, and I got a Roy Rogers. Right. So that, that was, you know, that was the, uh, that was that, a cherry Coke. Oh right? uh, yeah. yeah. And people didn't hold shit. They'd be like, ah, it's fucking this one broad. And I'm just like, huh, really? Tell me more about this fucking that broad, you know? And I'm like seven, but you know, that's, you know, that was, that was a different world where the world wasn't geared around children. It was children were part, but they were along for the ride. Right. Right. And those, we, we were raised differently. Now the modern generation is raised very much. And by our generation, by generation Xers have done this, um, this, everyone's a unique snowflake, everyone's, and you can't hate them for it because that's all they know. Right. They, they, it's like explaining to them, like you can't get mad at them for not knowing what water feels like if they've never been in a rainstorm. You know right. I and mean? you're like, it's just, it's just not in their scope of understanding. So, right. but back then it was, and holding close to this information and, and keeping it close to you was in a way making it special. I gotcha. Okay. You know, and when everybody has it, it's like that one girl, she moves to town in high school and the first guy who dates her is like, wow, you're so lucky. Fifth guy that dates her isn't so lucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, that's just, you know, it's almost a common human thing. What? Uh, so uh, how did you eventually land in an apprenticeship? Never did. Self-taught. Oh, you didn't. You know, I um, I did a, my first like eight tattoos on myself, and then okay. um, I was I was working in a shop. It was real. It was a twisted little t- uh, high desert scenario where I opened a shop with a guy who was just a turned into the biggest tweaker on the planet. But he had he had embezzled. <laughs> I think that's a statement could be made a lot. Yeah, well, and I don't know if he did because he liked to act gangster, but he embezzled a bunch of money from a casino up in San Diego, like working there, dropping like chips into his drinks and shit and then bringing it back and putting it, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and he, um, to me, I think it was all bullshit. But he uh, basically opened the shop with me and we opened it for a guy named Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper gave me my first tattoos. He's, this is like one of the most stand-up dudes I've, I've ever met in tattooing. Mm-hmm. And is responsible for me coming into it. And uh, he got tired of the shit. This dude was coming around the shop acting like a jackass and stuff, so he bailed. Meanwhile, my name was on the lease for like two years for this shop. And when Jeff left, I had already been doing little pieces on myself. And he had So did kinda, you just decide to buy yourself equipment one day and learn it? I already had the equipment I wanted to do, but I was going to have um, Jeff apprentice me. That was okay. the goal. And... Basically, when he left, which I don't fault him, I'm surprised he hung around for as long as he did. Um, that dude came in and took everything out of the shop. My machines, which were Catfish Carl machines, I held very dear to myself. You know? uh-huh. Took all that, and I had to start from scratch. And because I had sold Flash and everything, I had gotten money, and I had rent coming in from that duplex. So I basically bought my own stuff, and I had a lot of people in the industry that came out and let me borrow an autoclave and, and let me borrow a Thermofax and stuff like that until I got on my feet. And I just started tattooing Marines and local cats. And okay. I mean, it was, um, I was laying in them good from the first. I'd watch Jeff do okay, but I was, you know, I was a scratcher. There's no, mm-hmm. you, there's no other way to, to start this gig. It's just how long are you going to stay a scratcher? So tell, just so my audience understands, what is a scratcher? Scratcher is just someone who doesn't care about progression and just really is about just making the money to out. go buy another bag of weed or right. whatever, you know? Someone that doesn't really, have an intention of becoming greater and you'll meet them all the time and you'll know within the first 20 minutes of talking to them where their head's at right you know but i wasn't you know i've always been in the person that regardless of where i was going to go i wanted to be someone that was a footnote in that movement Uh someone that said in a book somewhere that this guy you know helped progress the craft sure in any way you know that's that's always been my goal 
And in tattooing, I found that. I didn't realize it was going to blow up like like it did. So the, doing that the, now. The tattooing as a medium? Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's doing that now is, I've really taken it off of the back burner of being like a known person. Now, I just want to be able to progress myself. That's all you can and do. And not wage it against anything else. That's and, the best thing you can do. And, it, and the chips lay where they lay. You know, it's not, um, I've never been one that can in any way polish my, uh, give out a polished version of myself. I am who I am. I say what I say. <laughs> I do what I do. But you can be that. That's I think that's one of the attractive things about tat- tattooing for me is you you can just be yourself. It embraces individuality a lot more than any other. Yeah, that's nice. You know? I mean, short of like fine arts in New York City where if you piss in the in the you know, you, you, you piss on the in the sink, you're you're colorful. Yeah, but that's about that's about building your character. That's sure. not being yourself. Well, right now though, I hate to say that in this industry, it is very much about a polished image and giving well, out what that's you want. The world, yeah, yeah, and giving out what you want will definitely increase your your followers. Yeah, you know. So, and and I've I've talked to Lil D about this a lot, who I have like utmost respect for. He he, uh, we're we're both kind of we're we're swimming in that puddle, you know, where it's like you you you, fall your, you find yourself being drawn into it. And you don't want to be. Oh, we all, yeah, we're all, are, yeah, that's that's a really hard, I mean, I was just listening to this talk yesterday this guy gave about social media and likes and the dopamine rush you're getting and all, it's, it's a pretty scary and empty, meaningless thing. Um, and, and it's just breeding this yeah. short-term attention span and this fast food, like art becoming fast food. And like it, you, it. you're right in that it's you've got a tiny little square on a phone screen to attract people to to get a like. But I don't know. I just I find the healthiest thing to do now. It's like I, I want nothing more than just to close it all up. But that would be career suicide. It is career suicide, yeah. So you've got to find a way to do this and not let it become you, which you is know, tricky. Well, like when you're writing graffiti, if you don't get up and in like three weeks, someone's going to start spreading that you're dead. Right, right, you right. Know? And it's the same thing with, with uh, you have to, and I've talked about this a lot with, with uh, people at the shop. It's at my age and in, in my situation, I guess even for the youngers, it's about relevance and, and retaining relevance. And, right. and just being a part of the conversation, which is, it's really hard when you're getting, you have to post something Everyone's every competing day. To, mm-hmm. to stay relevant. And yep. that is not about being good. No. It's about being popular. Well, and that's what makes me mad when they get into this um, thing. And I, like I said before, I have the utmost respect for Kelly Doty. I love her. She's a great human being. But this concept that's been spread around, um, you know, the uh, the world at this point, is this females have a tough time of it in tattooing. And I, I know that's kind of a iffy subject because nowadays you say anything, you know, as as a white man, if you say anything that has any variances on race, sexuality, anything, you are an ass. Yeah, they call you racist. And I, don't, yeah, I just don't give a shit anymore, I guess is the point. But <laughs> it's because um, I know I'm, I'm not. And with the female culture in tattooing is very much prized. Mm-hmm. And in every shop... Having the well, the f- it's got to be. I mean, I, I'd imagine it's similar to comics because comics was <clears throat> such an um, a male dominated mm-hmm. business. Uh, I'd imagine for a tattoo shop to have a female artist is is attractive to a whole group of people 
who might not have been attracted to the culture of tattooing before. Well, that's it. It's beneficial. I mean, um, and the thing is, like, you don't tattoo with your vagina. You know what I mean? <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. The best artists throughout history have been of all makes and models and, and sexes. It has nothing to do with anything. Your ability to create has nothing to do with it. And their idea is the social constructs within tattooing, which, you know, in the 80s, yeah. In the 90s, yeah, it was really hard to be a girl. Yeah, because automatically so. everybody thought that you screwed your way into the position, right? Or you know someone's trying to screw you, right? And and all that. Well, nowadays it's it's brought out that the female in gen, in general, because I don't believe in generalizations in this regard, but it's true that are are looked at as being a little more, um, I guess nicer, a little more, you know, like the tattoo is somehow going to be a little bit more. Um, softer they don't have and a sweeter. Touch. Yeah, and it, I'm, I'm losing the word on it right now, but it's it's definitely um, like they're more caring and considerate about like what you're going through and everything, which is not true. Uh, girls are just like there's no difference there. Sure, sure. Especially when you go into tattooing, you, you kind of slip into a little bit of a trance. But, uh, no, I agree. So you you become the same person, right? You know? But there is like I watched Savannah kind of with her clientele. She's really good with them, and she's great with them. Yeah. And that, but that's also being early in the gig. I was okay. talkative and sweet and everything with my clients in the beginning. You really get into that. When you when you develop along, you know, you can only have the same conversation so many times. And you start focusing usually, because I see this with the old timers that tattoo. You focus on the tattoo. If you want to talk to me after sure. the game, let's no, do it. No, no, I get that. But you tend to focus and go into what is like a trance. You get into a trance where you really, I hate to say this, I love my clients, but you really try to forget that it's a human. You, I guess you try you'd have to just to. yeah you just try to think about the piece because when my clients start hurting gasping doing things like that it fucks with the creative strain I can't yeah I feel bad I, 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 I knocks me off center which not isn't good so what do you do like Russ and I Russ kind of talked about his tattoo process he's he's reading his clients for a lot of it sure yeah well you have to and he like I guess he knows when to say all right that's enough for today well yeah I mean. I, I'm very systematic. I, I try to stop on hour frames, you know what I mean? Or half hour and frames. take a break. No, just, just when I in. say we're done. Um, I've oh, been oh. really good. I've had four people pass out on me my whole career. Well, yeah. Talk to me about that. I've heard about this. It's usually due to lack of, you know, they're, they're bleeding and they didn't have enough sugar. You know, usually they didn't eat beforehand. Almost every single one that's done it has said that they didn't eat before they came in. And that's a big thing. What are they passing out from the pain? The uh, not breathing. Oh. And when you're when you're concentrating on on the pain, your breath becomes a secondary thing. And then see, I, I mean, I, maybe it's yoga, but when I'm it is yoga is very helpful in tattoo. I, I go into my breathing. Yeah, it become all about meditation. Is the, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It is really detaching yourself from from the present moment. And yeah. Really, I mean, in some meditations, it's about being at one with it, the present moment, but. In this regard, you really want to, you know, avoid it in like in all costs. That th sure. this is what's happening. To well, you. I've seen like I've heard of people like puking from it. Like a girl passed out and pissed her pants in my old job. It was the saddest thing. For, I felt so bad for her. And we tried to hide it. And no one talked about it. Uh -huh. She let out a whole bladder. Oh my god! On the, on, the, on the floor there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really. It's that slow breathing process. What I explain to people, it's the Shaolin monks that, I believe it was Shaolin, actually, I'm not 100% on that. Um, they're Buddhist. 
that him set himself on fire to pr- protest the uh, Vietnam War. Oh, right, right. There's no way a human being could sit there and pray as they burn alive right. unless you've mastered that. Right. You know, and that's there's a lot of levels that. There are some people that have a freakish tolerance for pain. Yeah, no, I think it hurts but like hell. For most of us, yeah, it hurts like hell. We and I can't really... imagine passing out. I haven't gotten near that, but I see that and it terrifies me. I've passed out once for pain and it was uh, kidney stones. Oh, well, that's... And it was because I, I, I stopped breathing. I would imagine that's a lot different than a tattoo. Yeah, well, it was getting so... It was radiating so bad. And I was in the doctor's office that I was, like, trying to gasp for breath. And my breath left me for oh. a little bit. And I started blacking out and uh-huh. all that. And yeah, I get that. Yeah, but it, it's the same principle, but on a very smaller scale. They start to feel a little bit, and then it just... As an artist, so, you'll, you'll see so them... So you're reading that. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll turn a, a little bit lighter shade. And then they'll start getting sweat on so the forehead. So what do you do? When they start getting sweat on the forehead, I with my with male or female, I, I used to be just male, but I it's a common thing now. I try not to draw attention to it. I make it appear that I have to take a break. Right. And I say, right. hey, do you want some water? Yeah. And then I'll just go get them some water. And then once they've chilled out a little bit, I'll say, hey, go grab a, uh, you know, a candy bar or something, and we'll take a little break and eat a candy bar and all that. And they don't tend to question. They understand. It. It's just not a verbal thing. We right. Don't, we don't have to point out because they look at it as a weakness, which it isn't. Right, right. It's, it's simple biology. You're not breathing enough. Huh. Okay. And, or your blood sugar. You know, I, I kind of wonder, maybe this sounds, uh, I can imagine a whole bunch of older tattoo artists thinking this is ridiculous, but creating a more... Um, I guess, massage-like environment for a tattoo. You could. I mean, that's why, like, you know, old punk and System of the Down, that stuff doesn't really play well, I think, in shops like that when people are getting six-hour tattoos. When they're getting jammers, sure, it might even get their adrenaline up. But you're doing those tattoos. Those things, I mean... Auditory is a big thing on your mood. I mean, it's, I remember Gogwe was showing pictures of his studio, and it seemed oh, like he creates tranquil. a very peaceful environment. I think Guy as well. Guy Atchison. Does I think he? His, I mean, from the pictures, I can't tell what sound is going on, but it looks beautiful and very yeah, very open. Yeah. You don't feel confined very much like you're... Yeah, well, it's, I think that harks a lot of the Japanese oh, sure. style okay. deal, too. I mean, it's that... So many, I mean, look at it, your marketing is all about what sight sounds, uh, how they affect your mood. Right. You know, and so it wouldn't play any different in this. And this is a hyper reality when you're getting pain delivered. So I can right. imagine things. So you've got to constantly kind of be in tune with how they're handling the pain. Yeah. I feel because I thought about this. I could like my one f- rusted my chest when he did the outline. I remember when he first hit my chest. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make this. Okay, now did he pull a long line or a short line? I don't remember. See, that's always my question because I always start off with real small lines. It, it was probably a short line. I, I try to, like, I try to like I just walk was you like, into the, bo- the shallow well, part Well, he the probably did that, oh, but sure. I just remember being like, holy fuck, this hurts so much more <laughs> than I thought it was going to. But, but... Very quickly into it, I guess my adrenaline kicked in. Oh, the and, and it became... Um, Almost tolerable. Yeah. And I could tell by the end, I think he was looking at my feet. I think he could see my feet were like doing crazy things. Oh, your, your feet will curl. Yeah. And, 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 and your that, whole body will stiff. And at, at that, yeah. Well, he was hitting near my neck at the very end. Oh. And I remember him saying, don't worry, there's only 15 minutes left. And I think prob- maybe he would have gone, 
I don't know if he would have started the color, but I felt like that one, he wrapped up the line art, was like, all right, we'll color, and then, but coloring it, uh, it was much, much better for it me. It affects you. It definitely affects you. And I mean, seriously, when I have a client that sits like a rock, it's a godsend, man. I'm so mm-hmm. much more happy. I sat like a rock for for my coloring. Yeah. Where I was, it was like five hours. Yeah. And I, uh, at no point did I, was I like. You're going to get a better tattoo. It's, it's shitty yeah. to say that, but it's true because you're not in the mode of. But I was also more relaxed because I, I didn't go in with the, oh my God, what is this going to feel like? Yeah, that and also preparing for the worst. It's like storm season. Yeah. Prepare for the worst. Be happy you still got a garage. You know, (laughs) this is like it's I always tell people, you know, picture some serious pain. And then when it comes time, you know, obviously different people have different opinions on what's serious. Sure. So but yeah, it's that's part of it. And it it does affect the flow of the tattoo. Sure. Because if I can if I can let it out like I want to let it out, it, it Everything. My mind is in in more if in a, a congress with my hands. Uh-huh. Then you're going to get a faster, better tattoo. Sure. If, if at some point I'm feeling I have to slow down because I'm killing this person, yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, affect I, it. I watched Russ tattoo a guy. It was on the back of his hamstring, and it was a um, what probably should have been a one sitting tattoo turned into three because the guy was just like yeah. Like after an hour, was like we're just done, dude. I can't do this anymore. Like he was just the whole time. Yeah. But he was also, I felt like, he was on his phone just distracting himself and not like getting into the moment. No, you have to. He yeah, was yeah. doing the opposite of what I thought he should have been done, which was closing his eyes, breathing, and calming himself down. Yeah, I appreciate when they get into their phones, but I don't understand it because I don't want to make. Yeah, thought decisions. The last thing I thought about doing when I was getting tattooed yeah. was looking at Instagram. Like, I close my eyes and start thinking about things that I want to do around my property, things I want to do, you know, places I want to go to. I think music about things I find like that. helpful. Music's yeah. good. Oh, I always, I always expect people to have headphones just because it takes you a little bit out of there. But, but I like talking to Russ while he was doing it. Yeah. And that's how I feel bad about not being very talkative when I do. Yeah, but I don't know that I'll be talkative. Yeah. Because when I tend to work, I tend to, like you, just kind of engross myself in it. I'm not a good multitasker. I really am not. Yeah. I feel like if I'm taking away my mindset to answer a question or think about a question, then that's not 100% of my mental power dedicated to that. Like, you know, and we were talking about detail work earlier. The one, the person that sticks out to my mind the most, and I can imagine, I don't know, I'd like to see her tattoo, is Teresa Sharp. How she, she does such intricate, beautiful color deals, and big. Mm-hmm. And she marries them both real well, you know, the big and small. Uh-huh. But I would like to see if she has, if she's like headphones in, into it or, because headphones are a big, that's a big like no-no in tattooing. And I don't give a shit anymore. Right, I, Russ and I talked about yeah, that too. Because trips, no-no. trips gets into his headphones. Yeah, and it's a big no-no in it. But there's also I can't times. Do that. Well, I'm dealing in permanence is, is the way I look at it. And if, if something can make that permanence a better quality, then I'll do it. I don't yeah. do it for all of them. I do it for probably five percent. When I'm oh. doing uh, black and gray or color realism, I put on headphones. Oh, okay. Because there is no spot where I can go, oh, I'm just packing this color in here. Uh-huh. I'm constantly being aware of what I'm doing and what's going on because just one slight misstep that your client will never know about right. will drive me nuts. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, so I'll, I, I will put them on, but I'll also tell my clients, you know, to bring headphones on those things and, and yeah. for them to, to do that. 
which I feel is 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 fine in situations. But on the same hand, you have to you have to it's balance. So you have to when you don't have your headphones on, have some very you know, connecting type conversation with that client. So right, they know that I this isn't, I'm not well. avoiding got, you. Right. But you've got something like, hey, let's put on a movie while we're doing this. I will when they're facing that direction. And I'll be able nice. to put that on when I don't have reference and, yeah. and they can do it. And I have like 160 something movies on iTunes. So uh-huh. they can pick from 160 Will Ferrell movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's like their, you know, it, it is about their how well a good experience for them but unfortunately i think these tv shows have really put this thing into people's heads where they have to connect on a personal level with their tattoo artist and got to give them a hug at the end of it which isn't always true (laughs) i look at them and i'm like listen you know if i'm friends with you it's because i like you not because you're paying me money i'm not a whore right and that's how i look at it sure if if i have clients that i don't connect with i respect them and i appreciate their yeah they're they're not they're not paying for you they're paying for your work they're paying for my work and so i will always be congenial to them i'll be nice to them i'll do whatever but i'm also the type of person that if you ask me something and i'm offended by or whatever i'll let you know right i'm because I, i really dread the time when tattooing becomes a service industry where how i treat you is more important than what I give you in a tattoo. For. Right, right. Now, I would never be a dick to my client, but if my client says some overtly racist shit, I'm going to say something. Right, right. You know what I mean? If he's like, oh, yeah, that look at her pussy. And I'm like, dude, um, you know, I got a daughter. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not, I didn't institute this conversation. Now, if I'm talking about something, you know, and I've had clients that will, like, talk about, like, you know, Savannah. They'll say, oh, my God, I just cut that shit short. I'm like, dude, she's like a little sister, homie. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not going to go this passive-aggressive mentality that this, this Western civilization has adapted where I'm not going to say anything about the shit you're saying. <laughs> and then I'm going to go talk shit about you to somebody. No, right. I'll let you know what you've said. I don't jig with it. I don't dig it. Man. <laughs> Good. You know? And it costs me. But I also believe it's a benefit is that well, I'm surrounded by people that I respect and they understand me a little bit more. Yeah, you have integrity. Yeah. Well, I, I integrity is one of the things that I, I think is a day-to-day battle. Yeah. Everybody has to. You, you're just not born with it. And you don't just have it. It's you work. have to. It it's every work. decision you make. And I hold it very dear. And I look around and you look around and you see the culture that really doesn't hold integrity that high. Yeah. It's not respected. It's make your money. This has been the old man hour. <laughs> oh, dude. Kids today. Goddamn neighbor kid with his rock and roll music. <laughs> All right. I usually um, end on a question that I found. And a high five. Yeah, right. <laughs> a hug. <laughs> and a hug. Yes. Um, I found in comics, and I'm kind of curious in tattooing, and I know where this is going to go with you, but it didn't. With am, I that, am I that readable? <laughs> no, no. I just you'll see when I when I hear the question. Sure. Uh, when I ask the question in comics, I found, for the most part, not for everyone, but for the most part, people came up on uh, punk rock music, metal, and or hip hop. One or a combination of all the three. There was something in those. Uh, genres of music, something to the anti-establishment nature of that music, the rebellious nature of that music, the um, not trying to please everyone with your art, something 
spoke to everyone, not everyone, to a lot of artists that way. So I'm trying to figure out now if in tattoo culture, if this is the same. Now, asking Russ this question as the first tattooer is probably not, not I'm not going to find that commonality as much. Uh, but with you, I think I will. So out of those three, were any of them a big part of your formative years? I mean, everything but metal. Um, metal was always my brother was gnarly okay. in the metal, so I was I was raised on Maiden and all that being played. And um, yeah, I Rush in the beginning, and then uh -huh. got into the you know Slayer and And some of the bands kind of went between them, like Pantera. Mm -hmm. I, I could dig on, but um, I was for my first album I ever got was uh, The Police. Okay. Synchronicity. That was the first one I bought. And uh, it kind of introduced me to that, and I, I, it just evolved into punk. And I was I was a punk kid from early 80s and, you know, paper-thin mohawks and all uh -huh. that. And it was anti-establishment. I can agree with that. I can also agree that it is like a, a, war, a warrior clan kind of uh -huh. vibe. I mean, you go to a punk show in the, in the 80s, and it was like traveling clans it all had respect for each other but right we were about blooding each other in the pit and acting like total you know right now one of the things i always liked about punk rock was there was an educational element to it i was learning about used to, the world well and it used to be with hip-hop too yes and it was one of the the things that made hip-hop and punk rock be the things that i, I coming up i i lend to is because it used to be real gritty and honest and it was more about you know the world they saw uh -huh. Now somehow punk rock and hip hop, punk rock went into um, crying about the girl that left you. Yes, and hip hop so got into about bitches and pimps and shit like that. Which, granted, was always a factor in it. Uh -huh. But I mean, well, it depends on where you were. Like Oakland, it was all about yeah. pimping, and yeah. you know there was different things, different little areas. And LA was all about gangbanging. But when you the, the the stuff that I fell in love with in the beginning was even like you know uh, tribe called quest and mm -hmm. even like uh, you know set uh, sonic mm -hmm. um, old Moni love and stuff mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and and uh, I was a big slick Rick fan yeah. and that was the stuff that I, I I really loved and it was more about being poetic it was about street profits yeah. you know talking yeah. about like gangstar and stuff talking right. about their lives. Speaking of that, I just found out that Fife died in March. I didn't hear yeah, that you at didn't all. Hear that? I didn't hear it, man. It totally exuded Holy me. I was like, shit. what the that bummed me the hell out. But um that was, you know, Tribe Called was was a big, big influence. Those guys, and it was about You heard talking. the new album, right? No. I'm dude, I'm I'm old as fuck. Dude, it's Fife's last album. Like he was alive. I, I, well, it's like undeniable, right? Or something like that. The the album the album uh, it's got a long ass title yeah uh, it's so good no it's I, like it's, old I, I saw the excerpt on it because yeah. I, I was finding out what happened with him and it was the, you know struggle with diabetes but yeah yeah that yeah, was yeah. that was those were the people man that was like that was the shit that I was all about right and Dougie Fresh and everything and and it it, it I always kept uh, was to the that shit around the desert. In the West Coast? Surprisingly, it's the military town. Uh, okay. So a lot of my, all my friends were Wait, every Did you discover it on like AM radio? Dude, we had, we had TV with a, uh, you know, um, freaking antenna until I was, you know, until I was a, a junior in high school, senior in high school. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
It was very secluded like that, but all my friends were of all different ethnicities and everything. They okay. were coming in, shipping in from all over with their parents being in the military. So we okay. got tapes and things from everybody. Right, and, right. and that's where I got all my punk was from mostly like Texas and, and Philly and all okay. those areas when people would go back and see their grandparents for the summer. Uh-huh. Come back with a <laughs> right, bunch of mixtapes right. and stuff. And Yeah, I mean, and we had a lot of vinyl back then, but no, that, that was the only place we got it. But it was that kind of um, anti-establishment dirt poor poet vibe that yeah, punk and hip-hop yeah. was it was real yeah it was real you know I mean, I it remember, was not it, it did not exist to make money no no and that's it why existed it existed strictly out of a love I'm of a doing it i'm a firm believer hip-hop people say punk rock's dead i'm hip-hop died i no, think what hip- you have now is hip-hop well it's, well it's, that's the stuff you're hearing the radio yeah hip-hop the underground is alive and well, well man it's alive, and I don't know well because it's not I, a, not enough people hear about you. it. I have to expose well, you. Well, I mean, I'm a Nordal Technique fan and and, yeah. and and stuff like that, and I still listen like the Alcoholics and and there's it's there's such a, good stuff. there's groups of, of stuff that I still listen to, but if, for the most part, it's not being exposed, and the, the bulk of the people are listening to you know, I just fucked your girl in some Gucci flip flops. Yeah, but that's pop music. Yeah, it, my, the, my problem I, is I, remember I like when pop used to be like. Pfft, Pop now is completely viable to the, the modern generation. Oh right, right, right. It's pop is the way to go. Well, because pop to me used to be like Michael Jackson. The now like, is having more, more and more people like you. But the thing I find about pop is it's an empty fan that you will come and go. The, the music is disposable. The sure. the art is disposable, and it will come and go very quickly. And you're not like. I can still talk about punk and hip hop albums from from my youth that I still listen to regularly. Sure, um, and I think that's the difference. Well, yeah, I mean, well, they say no one dies if everyone remembers them. So, I mean, it's there, and there are a lot of great bands now doing it. It's just the movement. You know, it was a it was a very palpable movement, and then that movement was oh, was, oh right was right the native tongue mo- by yeah. money. Most well, punk rock bands. That's went to what speed happens metal. to every art form. Yeah. Well, they went to metal. They went to they they right. f- picked out stuff that would sell, you know. And then hip hop. I mean, I watched that just yeah. well, that do what it's out. done. And yeah, there are still great. You know, there's still great. Uh, and the southern hip hop scene, I actually love. I don't like the the dirty, you know, kind of big rim stuff. But I'm definitely a fan of of a lot of the underground stuff mm-hmm. out here. It's just. We've we've gone over our you know we've gone to the wrong in in hip hop to me is the fact that it's it's glorifying things that don't even exist. I've lived in hoods, you know, because you're poor in college, whatever. You lived I lived in East Palo Alto and I lived off of Crenshaw in L.A. It's just you got that vibe where you're glorifying something that no one even really wants to be a part of. Being hood is only cool when you don't live there anymore. Right, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. When you're in the hood, you got to worry about every night you come home or every morning you wake up or, or every bump in the night. Right. No, that's, it, that shit ain't cool. Right. Ain't, and right. what you have is a bunch of people that are, are scraping by off of each other, and it's a fucking ruthless shark tank type environment right. that... You, you glorify it. They glorify it because they make money, man. But it's like the most gnarliest yeah. cats in the hood will never rap about it. These are the guys doing the dirt, not talking about it. Right. And the guys that are like the buddies that are talking about it, they're making millions and, and basically hurting a whole culture, a whole hip-hop culture where these kids are going out thinking they got to they gotta live up to this well, shit. Well, everything right now seems to be justified by does it make you money. money. Yeah. And that's why I don't think I'll ever be good at business. You remember that old thing was, they used to say? It was like, it was always the dick kid, right? Like, you'd be talking about someone and they go, oh, he makes more money than you do. Yeah. And everybody look at him like, 
What the I mean, fuck really? does that mean? Like Hitler made more money than I did. Is that <laughs> making it right? You know? <laughs> but that that statement is a hundred percent viable now. Yeah, that's that's what everyone goes by. Yeah, he's got more likes than you. He's got more followers. Yeah. Uh, I right. mean, in short, that's it. That's the fact that it's. it's so we're we're getting right back to the old man podcast. <laughs> oh, dude, I got no. You know what? You, you spend your youth saying you'll never be that, and, and then, then get you to are, a point yeah, you're like, "Fuck it, embrace it." Prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was there anything you were hoping we'd talk about that we did not talk about? Anything? Well, I mean, other than me just you know rambling, I hear myself talk so much too, and I'm like, "Shut the fuck up!" And I just can't do it, man. I my mouth just keeps rolling. It's like a one of those big guns when they start firing and it gets so hot that it can't stop firing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So but there, no, this has been, yeah. It's okay, been. cool. Um, you want to shout out your social medias? What's that? You want to... Uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I really, honestly, I, I, I avoid Facebook because it's just gotten toxic, but I'm on Instagram at uh, Eddie Stacy, just mm-hmm. E-D-D-I-E-S-T-A-C-E-Y. And... Uh, yeah, I need the followers, man. I need to run prom king. So, <laughs> no. But other than that, I got that book uh, coming out, and it's going to probably be on Tattoo Smart if uh, you know if Russ is gracious enough to let me throw it on there. And yeah, it's uh, just going to be called Sofa King Slow, you know, hyphenated. Right. So so fucking slow. Um, <laughs> sketchbook, and it's going to have mostly probably about fifty slots. In when it, is that? When is that coming out? You think? Well, um, I got a busy calendar year, so I'm hoping by the end of spring. Um, okay. I'm, I've been working on it. It's going to have a lot of Okay, of so stuff, if this so. comes out in March, then yeah, a April month or two after to. this. Yeah, April. All right, that'll be good. In a perfect world, right? All right, cool. Thanks, So hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. No, thanks for coming.
mixtape, change your whole shit up. Salad backstage, I just wanna eat alone. Crowd at my shows, more mixed than Rashida Jones. Hate to say I'm changing, but I haven't changed at all. Indie kids saying that I've ruined all their favorite songs. Hood niggas saying that I'm whiter than that Colgate. Hating on my progress, I'm a long ways from bro rape. Black Clark Kent, all I need's a Lois Lane. But let us spend the night once and watch her go insane. Voicemail, email, sending text message. We are not engaged just because I made breakfast. Believe me, you don't want this. I'm all about business. Life is a bitch, I must be dating her sisters. Gotta be different, take chances like pictures. Emerge victorious, stunt on y'all bitches. I'm not at the top, but y'all niggas know I'm coming fast. Rap will change after me. All of this will come to pass. Rappers start to use real instruments and shit. Niggas start to copy me, dumb it down and make it rich. I am not a novelty, just the first to do it different. I have always been this good, you were just laughing too hard to listen. Got my career overnighted. Maybe you should order one. Springsteen the city, cause the city we were born to run. I'm just different. I'm always been different. I'm just different.